Today I've been given the honor of being um, the self-ascribed palate cleanser between Dr. Andrews and uh, our new pastor, Walter Overman. And while we learned a lot from Dr. Andrews, and I'm sure we will grow from Walter's preaching, I'm very thankful for this opportunity to preach the word to you guys today. So today we will be reading Matthew 19, verses 16 through 22. But before we get there, I want to tell you a story, okay? So if you've ever worked with young kids, you know they ask crazy questions, okay? Well, teaching this week, in my first week ever uh, teaching in a school, I had the honor of teaching the elementary kids Bible class at Refine KC. And uh, while teaching the Bible, while going over the story of creation, I got to hear all sorts of crazy questions, ranging from easy to answer questions to some that uh, kind of even stumped me. Uh, and the wonderful, truly wonderful, is the mind of a child, uh, which I think Yoda said that. <laughs> but so I got some easy questions. I got questions like, who is God's dad? I got questions like, is God an angel? How did God create things? And then I got other questions. I got questions like, how do we know what God wants for us is truly best? Isn't God just a myth? Now, I'm pretty sure God didn't create us. I'm pretty sure uh, we just kind of came from nothing. The kid said that this week during, while well, talking about the creation. And now I'm sure we all know what we would answer these kids if you heard a kid ask that question, especially you uh, preschool and elementary school Sunday school teachers. I sure hope you have an answer. But do you have an answer that would make a six-year-old understand? One of the truly magical things about C.S. Lewis is he writes his books in a way that anybody can walk away having learned from it. You read the Chronicles of Narnia and you get understanding about what C.S. Lewis is trying to tell you about the Bible through Chronicles of Narnia. And you can read that as a six-year-old, you can read that as a 66-year-old, and you'd understand it. But the thing is, ultimately, we all have questions. Some of, the, some of you in this room may be asking the same questions I just said the students asked. Or you may be asking a very different question. You might be asking the whys, the hows, the whats of Christianity. You may be asking, how do I know God is real? How do I follow God truly? How do I get out of this pit of despair I can't get out of? What is this Christianity thing all about? You may be questioning your faith. You may be going, am I truly a Christian? Or you may be asking, what is the key to eternal life? And today we're going to read a story about a man who asks us that last question. And through this story, you'll receive some answers to some of those other questions I just read off. We'll be able to answer any of these questions on your heart. And at the end of the day, I hope that you'll be able to tell me what Christ requires for eternal life, what you should focus on as a Christian, and the most important, if you are truly a Christian or not. Because, as my sermon is titled, we will be taking some evaluations for eternal life. 
one week as a teacher and I'm already given tests, okay? So we're all going to be evaluating ourselves today. And that is my purpose in preaching today, for you to evaluate yourself. You're going to hear the gospel. You're going to be given a chance to respond to the gospel. And if you are a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian, you're going to be able to, get, to refocus your priorities as a disciple of Christ. So let us read this passage, and we were going, we're going to look at the three evaluations for eternal life from Matthew 19, 16 through 22. For some reason, I'm in Nehemiah. What is that? There we go. Starting in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? So Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, All these I have kept. What still do I lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, because he had great possessions. Let us pray. Father God, open up our hearts to you today. Let us grow through the teaching of your word. I pray that any words I say today are not my own, but come from you. If I say anything that does not come from you, I pray it goes in one ear and out the other. Because all I do today is seek to glorify you. In your son's name we are gathered. In your son's name we pray. Amen. <coughs> all right. So, we've got three evaluations for eternal life. And the first one is, how have you come to Christ? Based in verse 16. And when I say, how have you come to Christ... I don't mean that you need to double-check your testimony in the sense of you don't need to double-check who shared the gospel with you, how they shared the gospel with you, or something along those lines. Rather, what I mean is you must check your understanding and check your motives for seeking out Christ. Now, let's look at this story to see those two things. Firstly, checking your understanding. Verse 16 says, Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? So what do we know about this man coming to Jesus? Well, we, we know that he's a man. It says right there, man, come up to him. Um, and through the story, we learn that he's, he's a young man and that he's wealthy, that he has great possessions. If you look at the same passage in the book of Luke, you also learn that he is referred to as a ruler. And so what all of this context means is that he is a, a rich young ruler. 
interesting that we, we tell the story about the rich young ruler, and in it, there is a rich young ruler. Uh, and so, in case you don't know, ruler typically stood for a man who was very high up in the synagogue. So, he, uh, he is a religious leader, he is devout, he's honest, and we have learned that he is wealthy, prominent, and influential. And so here is a guy seeking out Jesus, and he is genuinely seeking out eternal life. Because already this guy is going to the right place. If you desire eternal life, who should you go to? Jesus. If you desire to have answers about spiritual questions, who do you go to? Jesus. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the Son of God who knows the answers. So this man understands in some way that Jesus is the person you go to for answers to these questions. He also understands that Jesus is the provider of eternal life, or else why would he seek after him? And boy, does this man have a lot to lose. If you read the passage right before this, uh, Jesus is talking about children. And he's telling his disciples to let the children come to him. And so this rich young ruler high up in the synagogue who should know a lot about the Bible, who should know a lot about the Old Testament, he's pushing his way through a crowd of children to ask Jesus a question. Because we read in one of the other accounts that he ran up to Jesus. This man sprints to Jesus. So, Despite his prominence, though, this man could not possibly understand the full meaning of what he asked for. Despite everything he knows, leader in the synagogue, he must have deep Bible knowledge to get that far, especially so young. He knew that despite everything he knew and everything he had, something was missing. And he goes to the one person who can fill that void. I always bring this up. There's this interview from Tom Brady in like 2007. He had just won his like 75th Super Bowl. And he's in this interview uh, and he's just talking. And at some point in the interview, the interview asks him, so what, what else? And Tom, he looks at the interview and he's like, ah, I think if I just win one more Super Bowl, Super Bowl, uh, then I'll be content. Just one more will be enough for me. And he's won 75 more since then. He retired, he came out of retirement seven or eight times because it was never enough. He never found something to fill that void. And so this rich young ruler is trying to fill that void and he goes to the right person. So as a result of all of this, I want to ask you, do you have the right understanding of Jesus? As you are seeking Jesus today, do you have the right understanding? We just sang the song, Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And right there in like the second verse, first verse, I don't remember any of the words because my memory is not what it used to be. Uh, but we, we go through a list of attributes about who Jesus is. And is Jesus to you, is he the good teacher who instructs you in matters of faith? Is Jesus, the Son of God, made manifest in the flesh who died on the cross for your sins? Is Jesus the great mediator between humanity and God? 
Is Jesus the provider of eternal life? Is Jesus your savior? Is he your redeemer? Is he your friend? Or is he just a story from 2,000 years ago? Is he just a man who taught some good things? Is he some old thing that, that was 2,000 years ago? And maybe he's true, but he's definitely not relevant for your life right now. Is that your understanding of Jesus? Because there's one of those lists that's true. It's the first one. Jesus isn't just a story. He wasn't just a man. And he sure is relevant to your life today. So this man understands who Jesus is. He seeks after him with the right understanding. And he seeks after him, truthfully, with good motives. Yet, they're misguided a little bit. So not only do you need to make sure you have the right understanding of who Jesus is, but you also need to check your motives. You've got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. So let's go back. Let's look at what the young, rich ruler says when he seeks Jesus. He comes to him and he addresses him, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Again, we talked about it earlier. If you're motivated to seek after eternal life, who do you go to? Jesus. So his motivations are correct. Jesus is the one who provides eternal life. But where is he misguided? He says, what good deed must I do? What must I do? What deeds can I do which will make me deserving of eternal life? So maybe you are genuinely seeking a relationship with Jesus today. Maybe you've never had a relationship before today. Maybe you sought out a relationship with Jesus 60 years ago. I'm really liking that, that number six today. And the relationship never truly grew. Maybe you've been a Christian, here it is again, since you were six years old. And you seek after Jesus every single day of your life. Everything you do is motivated by Jesus. But every single one of you have a motivation within that. It looks like I'm using a lot of examples from Refine because that was this past week. But also in one of my Bible classes at Refine this week, this time with the secondary students, the older students, we talked specifically about this topic. We talked about our motivations in seeking after God. We talked about doctrine and how it should motivate us in our relationship with God. And we just, we ultimately broke down motivations. I shared a story with the kids about how when I was younger, my favorite TV show, maybe you, some of you have seen this TV show, it, it was called Psych. It's about a guy, he's a fake detective, he acts like he's a psychic, he's just very observant. Uh, and the main character of this show, his name was Sean Spencer. Sorry, Mason and Emma, you've already heard this story. Um, and Sean Spencer, he loved pop culture references. And so as a young kid, in like 2008, I was watching this show and I was like, I want to be the guy, just like Sean, who knows all the pop culture references. And I feel like everything I've done since then has been motivated by that. I love to watch movies, I love to read books, I love to just know everything. So that way if somebody goes, can somebody name that movie from 1983? Uh, I think that it was about cowboys. I can be like, I actually don't know a movie from 1983 about cowboys. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Uh, I'm still working on it, okay? But if you check your motivations, 
Maybe if you want to be the best basketball player ever, you're going to be motivated to wake up at 6 a.m. to practice your dribbling, to practice your shooting, to practice those fundamentals. If you want to be the person who knows the most about wrestling, you're going to seek out the WWE or any of the other things and watch them on whatever channel they are at whatever time of day. If you want to be the best Christian you can be, you're going to seek after Jesus. You're going to be devoted to him. There won't be a Sunday you miss church because at church is where you gather with the believers and you learn more about God. Now, it might not always be the same church. You might be at a church in Florida because you're visiting Florida for vacation. But you're not going to miss a Sunday. You're not going to neglect the gathering of the saints. You're going to be eager to read the word and memorize it. Because the Bible says, I will hide God's word in my heart so that I might not sin against God. And every time you leave this place, you're going to desire to share his gospel with any and all people you come across. And it may be scary, it may be daunting, but you recognize that God will provide for you the words to say to share the gospel with these people. So check your motivations. Are they correct but misguided? Are they incorrect? Or are they where they are supposed to be? And once again, I ask you, who is Jesus to you? Is he a spiritual vending machine where you can put your money in, choose what you want, come it out, and make it come out? Sometimes the vending machines mess up and you've got to give them a little rattle, but that's the most work you're ever going to put in. But it's ultimately just a transactional relationship based on any blessings you might be able to receive. Much like the rich young ruler, is your relationship with Christ based on good deeds only? Based on the things you can do? Is it based on church attendance? Like, oh, I, I came, my name's in the logbook, I'm good, I'm covered. With no true change of life. No true relationship. Similarly, are you Christian in name only? Are you only professing Christ because it's what your parents were? Because it's, it's good for your children. But you couldn't care less. It's something people before you or people after you need, but you're good. Is it for prosperity, for money, for influence, for power that you are seeking after Jesus? Because none of these are the correct motivations for how to obtain eternal life. So what are they? Go back to Bible class this week. We said that our motivations in everything we do and everything we are ought to be motivated by God's love. By love for God and God's love. It's, God love. it's God's love that creates the change within us. It's God's love that awakens our love for him. And so we must seek him out of a desire to grow within that love. And then, let's look at this. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to have eternal life? Taking out the good deed, there's no good deed you can do. What must you do? The Bible's crystal clear on this subject. Eternal life is a free gift from the Son to all who believe in his name. 
Eternal life comes from understanding you're a sinner who can do no good deed, recognizing that that separates you from God, and as a sinner, you are facing eternal death. Recognizing this, knowing that Jesus died on the cross for you in your place, that on that cross, every sin you have committed, every sin ever committed, has been forgiven. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, that's how you receive eternal life. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. That is eternal life. That is life abundant, as John 10.10 says. So Jesus sees that this rich young ruler sought him out of the right understanding and mostly right motives. Yet, he desires to teach him more. So after checking your motives, checking how did you come to Christ, we now want to look at the next evaluation. How do you see the requirements of Christ? That's in verse 17 through 21. So Jesus, real quickly, he lists off the latter of the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself, he adds on. Those are the important commandments for eternal life, is what Jesus says. You see, Christ requires much out of his followers. It's true. And as a Pharisee or a leader in the synagogue, this rich young ruler knew much of these requirements. He knew these requirements. He knew them frontwards, backwards, leftwards, rightwards, upside down, loop-de-loop, and all around. He knew these requirements. He knew the Old Testament law. Yet once again, he's asking what good he can do to receive eternal life. And so Jesus responds ultimately by saying, what good, what good can you do? Is there any good one who can do so much that they deserve eternal life? Because there's only one who is good. And it's God. It's me. Nobody else is good. And so Jesus asks these questions to get to the heart of the matter. He knows this Pharisee's heart, and he's asking this to check the Pharisee's hearts. So do you keep the commandments? Clearly. See, Jesus is is ultimately referencing Leviticus 18.5. So you shall keep my statutes, my commandments, which if a person follows them, he will live by them. I am the Lord. So if you keep my commandments, you will live by them. You're asking about life. Here's life. Keeping my commandments. He's saying, you know what to do. What are you seeking after me for? And he's not teaching a works-based righteousness here. Don't get this wrong. There are no works. There's no deeds. He's testing the heart. See, the law is a reflection It's a mirror for us to look at, to lead us to Christ. That's what Galatians 3.24 says. The law has become our guardian to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. See, if this man had taken a real careful look at the commandments, he'd realize that there isn't a good deed. So he's confronted by the law and he's yet to acknowledge his sin. And he says, what still do I lack Jesus? What else can I do? If I have kept those, 
I've done a good enough job at keeping those. What else can I do? So Jesus says, do you give to the poor? Once again, this is a heart question. Jesus here isn't commanding each and every Christian to give up every possession they have to live a life with nothing uh, and give to the poor. Although those are good things, those are noble things. But we read in the Bible that there are very clear circumstances of Christians, of disciples of Jesus, who have money. They have houses, they have possessions. That's not what it is. Jesus knows the matter of this man's heart. He knows if he asks this question, do you give all to the poor, that this man is not willing to do so. So if we're asking about the requirements of Christ here, how did you follow the requirements of Christ? Look at the things you're unwilling to give up for Christianity. What are those things? Is it comfort? Is it sleeping in on Sunday morning is much better than coming to Sunday school? Is it going to bed early and skipping out on your daily prayer, on your daily Bible reading? Is it money? Is it power? Is it possessions? Is it good things? There are good things that you must give up to follow Jesus. Like these comforts that might not be sinful. But are you willing to give all up in pursuit of Jesus? And it's not easy to follow Jesus. The path of discipleship is one that is narrow and it's not often walked because it's very difficult. And to illustrate this, um, I just want to take a chance to, uh, to read to you guys some poetry. Is that okay? Some poetry. You might not know this about me, uh, but when I was in high school, I was uh, given the chance to read poetry for an English class. And it turns out I really like poetry. Can't write it at all. Don't expect me to write you a poem. But I do love to read poetry. And so uh, let, I'm just going to read the last stanza of this poem. And uh, you guys might recognize it. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere, ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. If you look at that full poem, that's by Robert Frost, of course. This po uh, and because poetry is notoriously hard to interpret, I'll, I'll tell you my interpretation of this poem so you can see what I'm thinking. But po Frost is talking about two roads. These two roads diverge in a forest, and they both look pretty good. One is a little bit more trampled on. More people take it. The path is nice. There's grass and everything. And then there's the other. And at the end there, you see he takes the one less traveled by, and it makes the difference. See, in choosing one of those paths, Frost had to reject the other. As a Christian, you cannot walk both paths. You, and Frost talks about it in the poem. He wishes that he could have. He wishes that he could walk down one path and also take the other. And many of us feel the same way when we come to Christianity. We wish we could walk the path of Christianity and stay on the path that the world has as well. 
But as Frost had to reject the one that most people took, we also have to reject the path the world has. We must seek after Jesus. For those of you who uh, would prefer me to read the Bible to you today, uh, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and wealth, something this man really needed to know. So choose the path less traveled. Choose the narrow path that leads to life. Matthew 7, 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So Jesus asks these questions to evaluate the heart. So if we look at that, the first question ultimately is, are you good enough to deserve heaven? And everyone in here should say, no, I am not good enough to deserve heaven. And then the final question is, are you willing to give all up in pursuit of Christ? And if you are not, check those things. And so that's our final question. How have you responded to Christ's call? And I'll move quickly through this. We all have two choices here. We have the choice to take the path that everyone walks on or the path less traveled. In verse 22, we see what the young rich ruler says, what he chooses. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So are you going to give up and walk away? His possessions were the Lord of his life. He didn't have any room to make Jesus Lord. He could not give up those possessions to follow God. It's like a, there's this uh, trap for monkeys. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Uh, it's called a monkey trap. Uh, and in it, you put a cage, you get a cage, you get a banana, you put the banana in the cage. If anybody wants to capture a monkey, here's how you do it. You put the banana, banana in the cage, the monkey will reach in, they'll grab the banana, and because their hand's in a fist, they can't get it out of the cage. And the monkey does, is not smart enough to realize that if they let go of the banana, their hand can move and they can slip it right out of the bars. That's how you trap a monkey. That's, all, that's, also, that's also how you trap most of us. What sort of things have you reached into the cage to grab that you are unwilling to let go of? So don't be like the monkey. Let go. Follow Jesus. Don't give up and walk away because what Jesus asks of you is too much. Because you will find treasure in heaven if you follow him. So if you don't give up and walk away, your other choice is to give all up and walk alongside. This is the choice I am recommending to each and every one in this room today. Give everything up for Jesus. Walk alongside him. And if you look at the disciples' response in the following verses, this is what happens. The disciples, they hear this, this interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler, and so they, they go up and they ask him, who then can be saved? And Jesus responds by saying, Everyone who has left their houses, has left their family, has left their land, everyone who has left these things for my sake will inherit eternal life. 
So make the effort for Christ. Give up the sin that plagues you. Give all up to follow Christ. As we talked about the rich young ruler today, we saw three evaluations for eternal life. Today we talked about how did you come to Christ? Did you have the right motives and understanding of who you sought? We talked about how have you seen the requirements? Do they reveal your need for God or have you been blinded by your sin? And then we talked about how have you responded to his call? Are you going to give all up or are you going to give up? At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned several questions. What does Christ require for eternal life? What should you focus on as a Christian? And am I truly a Christian or not? We saw those answers today. What does Christ require for eternal life? Wholehearted devotion, obedience, trusting in him, following his guidance, walking alongside. What should you focus on as a Christian? God's love, seeking after God's love, growing in God's love, sharing God's love with the world, which includes speaking the truth in love. And as to if you are truly a Christian or not, all it takes is giving up and following him. And if you're still wondering, let me remind you today that Jesus died for you. If you feel separated from God today, if you feel a weight of sin on your shoulders, come today and leave it at the feet of God. You can be restored right now to a right relationship with God. So don't delay. Do it today. The best day to start following Christ was, of course, yesterday. Uh, but the second best is today. So if you're, if you're not a Christian, know that the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. No good deed you can do. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If that's something you desire today, after, uh, as the worship band comes up to sing their final song, I'll be right here, and I'll be able to share some next steps with you. If you are a Christian, you need to refocus your life. You can pray in your seat, or you can come talk with me, and I'll be here to pray with you as well. If there's anything else you'd love to pray about, I'd love to pray with you. Now let's take a final moment to sing praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.